Welcome to Jim Galliano's Building a Better Web Presence podcast. Build something better with less moving parts, less overhead, and less headaches. Hey, everyone. This is Jim Galliano, and thanks for joining me for this week's podcast episode. Today is June the 22nd, and this is episode 259. And you're listening to the podcast where we talk about building a better kind of online business. So if you're a solopreneur, a freelancer, a professional of any kind, I really think you're going to get a lot out of this podcast. And, you know, if you enjoy listening to podcasts, one of the things that I was thinking about, one of the changes that I'd like to make, at least for the summer months, is I'm going to make the effort to trim down the amount of information that I share on this podcast into maybe smaller, possibly easier to digest chunks that will hopefully inspire you to take action. You know, I was a podcast listener back in 2017, 2018. I kind of fell away from it and then recently started listening to my favorite podcasts again. Some of them deal with business. Some of them are technical. Some of them are about WordPress. And one of the things that I noticed, one of the differences in how I listen over the years is that I don't want to say that I don't have the attention span that I once did because I do pay attention to what I'm listening to. That's the reason why I'm listening to it. However, there are more distractions. Now, I'm not sure all of the distractions are external. Some of them could just be that you only have a limited amount of bandwidth on any given day. And sometimes it's easy for you to lose focus or to no longer be concentrating or to tune something out without even realizing that you're doing it. Especially if you're listening to a podcast on one side and maybe taking a walk on the other or exercising or working on a mindless project. But one of the things that I noticed is that maybe every 15 minutes or so, I find myself either stopping the podcast or pausing it or having to get up or having to do something or having to move around and... It's tough, I admit it, even for myself to digest long-form content as opposed to maybe how I did it five years ago or so. So maybe it has something to do with the lockdowns. Who knows? Everything's blamed on COVID, right? But so I was thinking that maybe I should make these episodes a little bit shorter for the sake of those of you who are listening who have the same issues that it seems like more and more of us have of just trying, wanting to listen, wanting to be there, wanting to sit through it, but then again, having all of these interruptions come. So I'm going to shoot for having everything said and done within 30 minutes. We'll see how it goes. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll be able to do it. Maybe not. And uh, so <laughs> here we are. Now today's podcast is brought to you by OneToManySystem.com. That's OneToManySystem.com. Check it out if you haven't been there already. There is a complete webinar training available there. Now, this also is long-form content. It's about a 50, 51-minute training, but it is complete, and it's designed for people who have a business that does solve a legitimate problem because let's face it, how the business world is today, 99 out of 100 times, if you don't solve a legitimate problem in the business world, you no longer have a business. Now, I admit there's people out there who build a business around something that is more entertainment than problem solving, but those are outlier type of businesses. I'm talking about the average business, the average business owner, the average solopreneur, freelancer, or professional, I guess, would fit into this category of 
needing to be able to solve a legitimate challenge, a legitimate problem that other people in that space are having. If you can do that, then you can grow the kind of business that can change your life. That makes sense. That's like simple math. Two plus two equals four. But the key here, where simple math goes out the window, is in when you try and grow that kind of a business. Because uh, most solopreneurs or freelancers or really any type of professional, the person that actually does the most important work, they do it one person at a time, one client at a time. And growth becomes, at the very least, a very slow and often painful process. And a matter of fact, that's why a lot of businesses closed down. It wasn't because the individual, the service provider, the professional, it wasn't because they didn't have the skills. It wasn't even because maybe they didn't have the right kind of experience or any of those things. It was because they couldn't get enough clients on board fast enough to keep the business to keep the doors open, to keep the bills uh, being paid. I remember back in the old days, they would say that in any type of business that you're starting, now this is before the online world, but still, any type of business you're uh, starting, probably consider having about three years worth of income uh, put aside before you start that business because it's going to be on average three years before you finally turn a profit. Now, most of the people in the business world today wouldn't even have a business if that was still true. But what hasn't changed between the old days and today is the fact that most professionals get one client at a time and it's just a slow grinding process. And so now if you're married and you have one person doing this and the other person you know, cranking out their 40 hours a week or however many hours they work, I know it can be done a lot easier than if the person is on their own. The only maybe exception to this, if you're a young person, you're not married, you don't have any children, and so your bills are fairly low, and you can grind it out from there. But that said, for the average person, that's not the case. They need the money sooner, not later, or else they're going to suffer some kind of a loss. So most people dream of growing their business to the point where they can manage a team of people doing all of the heavy lifting instead of them. And that's the way I was back in the day. I remember years ago seeing the very first Our Team page of this big company in L.A. had online, Los Angeles. And the page had dozens and dozens of the photos of employees. Now, if it was you know the modern version of that, it would have all of their social channels underneath and links to their bio pages and all of that. And that used to be the measure of success. It almost used to be... Like the size of your office was also the measure of success or where your office was located. There were just a lot of external things that signified success in society in general. Now, most of those things are gone, thankfully, because people would work themselves to death to have all of these outward displays of success because those outward displays were attractive to prospects, to new people coming on board, possibly coming on board. So... Now, behind the scenes, if you've ever been behind the scenes as a worker or behind the scenes as a boss managing people, then you know from personal experience that managing and keeping people happy, keeping them busy while keeping the new incoming jobs flowing at a consistent pace, consistent enough to make it possible to keep all of the balls in the air, right? 
isn't something that a lot of people signed up for. Matter of fact, it's like a job within the job. And it becomes stressful. <clears throat> Excuse me. People become disillusioned with that kind of business. And the satisfaction of having all of these people that are your quote-unquote employees is more fleeting than ever before because you have a huge overhead to make all of this work. And it doesn't matter if the economy takes a turn for the worse. The bills are still going to be there each and every month. And especially today when worker turnover is greater than it's ever been before in history since people are measuring worker turnover or employee turnover. And so, yeah, you can scale. The truth is you can scale a business today without a team or without a big budget or without having to go through any of that. And that's what the training is there at One to Many System to show you how each part works. It's broken down into three separate parts. That's why, like I said, it's a 51-minute presentation, but I guarantee you it is worth your time. And after you've watched that presentation, you will possibly never look at your business the same way again because it will show you how you can scale your brand and multiply your monthly income with just possibly 50% of the time that you're already investing in keeping a service-based business alive and well in today's business climate. Will one-to-many system, you can build an audience teaching what you know, not just what you do, and you can also enjoy the kind of reach or even greater that used to be only possible through social media. You can get your message out in front of an ever-growing number of people who are difficult to reach, and yes, they're spending less time on social media. You can build real connections with real people and transform your approach to online marketing. Now, I've been in online marketing since 1998, and I would say that this is the only thing that I can legitimately say has transformed my approach to online marketing. Now, all of the pieces are there, but how I look at the pieces today in 2022 is much different than how I looked at the pieces in the past. You can do all this. You can build a stronger personal brand. You can scale your reach without having to manage a full-time team or without having full-time employees. So that's available right now at one-to-many-system.com. That's one-to-many-system.com. Now, today, I want to talk to you about, I don't know what I would title this, the final steps to becoming a maybe a leader in your niche. Maybe that's the way I would put it. Uh, maybe the final steps to becoming a leading brand in your niche. I mean, there's different ways that I can put this, but getting back to what I was talking about a few weeks earlier, I was talking about expanding your online reach and expanding your influence. And it was one of those topics that I was almost nervous about recording here on this podcast, especially for newer people that were listening that really haven't had the opportunity to get to know much about me, my style, or how I think. Because when we talk about reach and influence, when we talk about being seen, being visible, there's so many negatives attached to that that I would say that possibly today there's more negatives than positives. <clears throat> because we look at the people that have influence today, and most of these people, we don't see them in a negative light. Now, I think if we're looking in the political world, we would say that that's you know, doubly so. 
but it's no different in any other world. Doesn't it seem like the people that have the most influence maybe aren't as smart as many people that you know? Let me let me give you a great example of this. Uh, recently, I took on some new clients, and these are international clients. And when I got the first tour of how things worked behind the scenes, how the mechanics of the, the business were, I had a flashback almost to the late 1990s when I had that same introduction to some of the larger corporations here in the United States at the time that they were using all dated equipment, dated hardware, even dated software, and how they only upgrade it maybe once every five years, their software, as I went on to learn, and their hardware. And I guess it was because it was such an expense at the time. Now, today I figured that because we, we live in more of a SaaS application type of world where everything is more or less online and those systems are updated regularly, I was surprised to find that a lot of even international companies aren't doing business that way. They're doing business the way business was done even a decade ago, where things aren't regularly updated. They're not using the latest technologies or the, or the latest of anything. And I, yeah, I was shocked by that. It was almost like I figured that that would change. But the, the truth of the matter is, is that the bigger the corporation is, the more arms that they have out there, like an octopus, the more fields that they're in, because big companies today, they don't just do one thing. Employees, I mean, they can have 500 employees and they're all doing different things. And some of these larger businesses own smaller businesses and there's divisions within divisions. And the different pieces really don't communicate seamlessly the way, let's say, a smaller business. If you're a smaller business owner, you probably put a lot of time and effort, especially if you're going to have some moving parts, into how do we sync everything so that it works well together. So in that respect, you can look at a department in a huge company and recognize that, okay, that department works well because all of the pieces are communicating with one another. And the person managing that part, that department has some leadership skills and they're making sure that they're following up, there's oversight, there's all of these things going. Well, when we look at a smaller business, maybe one or two people, then those two people can do that with the technology that's available today. They don't have to have a lot of moving parts and they can get the same result sometimes faster than a large company can. I should say usually faster. Now, of course, we're not talking about putting complex products or services together or any of that. We're talking about getting a result that somebody's going to pay for. Isn't that how small business, even mid-sized business works? You solve a problem, here's how you do it, here's how you sell it, and you can keep things very simple. But one of the things that's changed, of course, the online world, how the online world has changed the game, is that people are focusing on things like marketing and sales and branding and all of this, and there's so many options out there. Things become very complex very quickly. And what I learned and what other people have learned over time is that the online world is the perfect, how should we say, ecosystem for an individual person, for a personal brand, for a solopreneur, whatever word you want to put on it, to be recognized where an individual, where a personality, maybe that's another word we could use, can stand, stand up and be recognized head and shoulders above a corporate brand 
or a company brand or a business brand. Because at the end of the day, people do still do business with people. It's still one person communicating with another. And so if you have a good experience with a large corporation, we can break down and ask ourselves, why is that? Why do you have such a good rep, um, connection with that huge company? What is it that that company is doing? Most of the time, it's because there's one or two individuals that you're dealing with in that big company that are giving you that experience. They are personal brands who you're connected to within that big company. Now, other people can have a totally different experience. Do you know why? Because they're not working with the same individuals that you're working with. And so one of the things that I learned, it took me a long time to learn it because I was stubborn about it. I had the bigger is better mentality. And so I went all out to hire people, to bring more people on, to get more people to have more business. And But it didn't change the amount of money that I was making because all of this money had to go out to pay all of these other people. Now, over time, even in the big corporate world, technology has replaced people. It's sad, but it's true. And if we can go back 50 years ago, we can see the same thing happening. It's just happening even faster today. I've mentioned before where entire warehouses that used to occupy 20, 40 people or more actually doing hands-on work now have just a handful of people, some even two people, one person to manage the tech, one person to manage communication, and that's it. And all of those jobs are gone, never to come back again. And so as we look at how things are in the online world, as a skilled professional, as an individual, you know, not to use a an old quaint saying, but the world is, is really your oyster today. I mean, today there's really... Nothing that there are so many people out there. Think about this: that the the slice of pie that you need to be very successful financially, emotionally, the, your level of happiness is very small, and they're they're more reachable than ever before. So that brings up the question: then, you know, of course, why wouldn't you want to expand your online influence, your online reach, as I talked about the other week? Why wouldn't you want to do that? In fact, an example that I'll bring up again, we can see micro-influencers. We're not even talking about people that have millions of followers. We're talking about individuals in a specific niche. Now, think about this. Think about what you know so far. Think about your personal experience. If I asked you, do you solve a real problem? Do you solve a problem? In other words, when you do the work, when you get paid for the work that you do, is the person paying you happy because of the work you've done? Are they happy enough to refer you to others? If the answer is yes, I don't want people to get hung up on the fact that, oh, I'm not solving a big enough problem. You know, for some people, designing a logo is a problem and they're willing to pay someone to do it for them. So if you're a logo designer and you're focusing on that, or if you're a logo designer for a few specific types of industries, you may be thinking because you're so close to the work that, well, you know, Jim, I don't really solve an urgent problem or, well, you know, really the, it's the marketplace that defines whether the problem is significant or urgent or realistic or not, not really us. I look at what I do and I've looked at this before. I've looked at marketing and I've thought, you know, what is marketing? Marketing is in some cases, it's like smoke and mirrors. It's making something look better than it really is. It's making something look like it's, this is something that you need and you need it now. 
And does it really change people's lives? And so I had to, I looked at marketing for a while with, I had mixed feelings about it. And whenever I had mixed feelings about it, my results were also mixed because I found that when I was able to help people that provided legitimate good services in the community, I found that I was able to work helping them market those services with a much better attitude than I was when I was just trying to help someone who was, I don't know, maybe we call them a hack or a company that had terrible customer service that the 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 customers weren't really that happy. So it all came down to who I was working with. And then I realized that no matter what you do in life, isn't that what it's going to be like? <clears throat> no matter what you do in life, the people that you're around, the people that you share your time with, they make what you do either worthwhile or not. So even if you think that, well, you know, I'm not changing millions of people's lives, I'm not even changing thousands of people's lives. I'm helping maybe a handful of clients, 20 or 30 or 40 clients have a better life. Is that worth the time and the effort? I think, yeah, at the end of the day, people are worth it. You can't look at it and say changing two people's lives is not worth it. Change it. I have to change at least a thousand or more or else it's not worth it. Those two people aren't important enough. That's just kind of like what you're saying. Now, the reality of the situation is you can't have a business with two people. I mean, not unless they're paying you quite a bit of money. But I'm talking about, generally speaking, you do have to have some kind of numbers to have a business. So let's say you have 10 clients, you're solving their problems, you have some kind of monthly recurring revenue in place. I hope that's not too much of a stretch, but I don't think it is for a lot of people. In other words, you know what it is that you have to do in order to keep those individuals happy. The problem is you don't really have any kind of system in place that's reliable to take those 20 clients and make them 40 or to make 40, 60 or to make 60, 120 and so on and so forth. Because if you did, then a lot of the pressure that's associated with business growth wouldn't be there. But if you think about it, if you're capable of solving the problems for a group of people, then that can't be just mathematically speaking, the only group of people in the entire world that have that problem? Obviously not. And so you might be doing it even better. You may be doing a better job than someone that has 10 times the number of clients that you have. The only thing is, is that those clients in the bigger company aren't even aware that you exist yet. So that's why I put such a focus on building a personal brand in order to attract those kinds of people. And in the real world, you need to have some type of system that's in place, that's easy to manage, that can work like clockwork for you. I'm not going to be saying that it's going to be consistently this or that number every single month, but the system has to be both effective and efficient, at least on a small scale to get you started. Because we think about the big scale, we can say, what would your business look like if you woke up tomorrow morning and had 500,000 followers, 500K followers tomorrow? What would that be like? These are people who are wanting to know how to do whatever it is that you do. Or these are people that want to know what the best tools or strategies or ideas are relative to what it is that you do. They want to know your opinion. Could you send them in the right direction? Would that be like such a big task? Obviously not. Could you share a little bit of insight or wisdom with them based on your personal experiences? I'm guessing you can. I'm guessing most of you can. 
So with the right kind of influence, when we talk about business growth and reaching more people, being more effective, with the right kind of influence in place, everyone wins. Isn't that true? And isn't it true that there's a lot of negative influence out there or bad influences? Has bad influence affected people in your niche? Yes or no? I'm guessing it has. Has what we might call bad influence. Now, we're not saying that the person who did the influencing did it with uh, bad intentions or with the wrong intentions. Sometimes people talk with confidence about something that they really don't know that much about, but the listener has no idea because they're drawn in by the confidence. So it's really not what's said oftentimes as much as how it's said. But I know people, even in my own niche, that listen to the wrong person, but because that person had confidence in their, the way they were communicating their opinions, they caused their audience to make poor investments or to buy subpar products or services. Now, has the wrong kind of influence in your market sent anyone that you personally know down a dead-end street? I'm guessing that it absolutely has. So I guess the real question is then, why wouldn't any of you, with the right intentions, with good intentions, why wouldn't you want to grow your online reach and influence in such a way that you create a win-win situation for everyone involved? It's, it's a question I've asked before, but it's worth asking again. Now, surely with all of the people out there in the world, there's room for you. You know this idea that the niche is just too crowded. Uh, in my opinion, that um, people that aren't making money online who choose a niche, they happen to choose a niche that people historically don't spend money in. Because we can look at health and fitness, for an example, a huge niche. And there's always seems like there's room for new people in that marketplace. Now, they're not going to probably, uh, you know, expand their business overnight. But what, ex what business, realistically speaking, can you get into? Unless you have deep pockets, of course. But just how businesses normally grow, small and mid-sized businesses, you're not using other people's money. You're not using investment capital. You're using your own money and you're bootstrapping your way forward. So all of these businesses, regardless of what you choose, you're still going to have to use some patience and perseverance. It's still going to take a little bit of time. I, I hope you agree with that, with that statement. But the road that I'm heading down now in is if you know what you're doing, if you have some clients, you're able to keep a small number of people happy. Just mathematically speaking, what changes when we add maybe twice as many people? Now, the first thing that probably that would change is your ability to serve them effectively. Because if we had twice as many people emailing you as you do now, or 10 times as many people, then we're going back to the business model doesn't work. See, this is why business models and systems are so important. I know people talk about systems. I'm guessing that it won't be long before even that word has a negative connotation to it, just like everything does, because everybody's out there just pitching what they're pitching because they have to keep the lights on. And a lot of people, literally, it's coming down to that. You know, they just need to feed their family and they're going to regurgitate or repeat whatever it is they hear more popular people regurgitating or repeating. But when we talk about building your personal brand, we eventually get to the point where you have the tools that you need. You have the, you have the, you have the basic elements, but that's not all you need. It's like the person that keeps on buying tech 
thinking they're one purchase away from buying the system that's going to <clears throat> make their business successful. Systems are important, but first we have to make sure that whatever it is that you do is solving a real problem. Once we know what you're doing is solving a real problem, then we can match it up with the system. I know some of my friends, they've complained to me that there's no money in the niche that they're in. And that in and of itself, that statement is the problem. There's not enough people in that niche that spend money. If we took all of their marketing skills and design skills and everything else and put them into another niche, their business would probably triple overnight. So um, I, I said all that to say this. When we look at, okay, you've, you've solved the problem. You have some people that are you're building their business. You're helping them. You're supporting them. You're a welcome asset to them, your company, your service, whatever it is that you provide. There are some final steps that come down to whether you're just going to be looked at as another person shouting in the wind. Now, we can, be, we can apply this to health. We can apply this to finance. We can apply this to any niche that is the kind of niche where people spend money. You know, for years, uh, golf was a popular sport in the United States. Not so much now, but golfers spend a lot of money. And these are people that aren't really that good of a golfer, but it was just one of those addicting sports for a lot of people. Not so much today. It's not as popular because it's a very time-consuming thing. But if you're in any kind of um, service-providing niche right now online, you're providing a service, then you're probably thinking, okay, there is money here. I know that, but how do I get to the money? What are the next steps? Maybe you have a podcast, but you don't have that many listeners, or you're blogging a little bit, but you don't have enough people, and you're in that. You need two things. Number one, you need you need the system. You need the system that's going to leverage your time, that's going to leverage your energy. It's like the one-to-many system, I guess, that I was just talking about earlier on. Go to one-to-many-system.com and watch that podcast. You don't have to, or watch that training. You don't have to watch it 20 times. You just watch it one time. And so that you're on the same page that I'm on. But, you know, where do you get to the point where how do you step, how do you become head and shoulders above people that appear to be head and shoulders above you? How do you become that leader? Are there some final steps? I believe they are. And, and I believe that almost no one talks about them. Because when we get right down to it, if you can solve the problems of 20 people, then you can solve the problems of 120 or 120,000. Because the information isn't going to change from one person to the next, whether you're talking to one person or whether you're talking to 100,000 people. I know it feels different, but it's really not any different. And so the real elephant in the room then maybe we come down to is why wouldn't more people want to follow you? Now, you know, maybe this is the real elephant in the room because people follow people. The information, yes, but people follow people. So you may be saying the same thing, someone who's 10 times more popular than you are, but you don't have the listeners. Why is that? Is there something that you can do about it? I 100% believe there is. And this is the reason why some people have bigger followings than others, even though the information may be better from the person having fewer followers. Now, people look to things like, well, this person has a, a nice high-definition video that they're using for their information or to communicate through. <clears throat> and the other guy over here, the other girl over here has just standard definition. Right? People always think that if I just have better equipment, then it'll be easier for me to succeed. Well, think about all the successful people today. Did they start out with the most professional equipment that was available to them when they were getting started? I'm guessing not, but they made it anyway. 
So um, do the person has, does their website or does their brand, does it have a, a, the color palette done in such a way that it just demands respect and admiration where yours doesn't? No, no, I'm guessing that isn't it either because I've been to some websites that just look like they were made by an, an amateur. Let me just put it that way. There's nothing wrong with being an amateur, but you should be able to tell the difference between an amateur and a professional when it comes to design, right? So it's none of those things, and these are the things that most people look for when they're guessing why. What is it? Is it me? Is it, is, am I the reason? But l let me tell you that this is what I believe it comes down to. Number one, the people that are looked at as leaders, the people that other people look to and listen to, number one, they project confidence. Now, some people interpret confidence as being opinionated. And absolutely, some of these people are opinionated. Some of them, I would say, are even over-opinionated. But that doesn't keep people from lining up to listen to what they have to say. It doesn't keep people from downloading their podcasts every week or watching their videos all the time or opening their emails. Number one, they're very confident and people are attracted to confident people. Now, confidence was a big deal for me. It took a long time for me to overcome confidence. You know, one of the number one fears that people have is public speaking. And public speaking was a road I had to go down very early in my own career for a whole bunch of reasons. But I didn't want to be a public speaker, but I wanted people to benefit from the information I had. And public speaking was the only way I could do it effectively and do it quickly. And so the first time I spoke in front of 300 people, had an audience of people listening to me, or the first time I taught a class, I remember I was invited by teachers accredited teachers to teach an accredited class even though I didn't have a degree in the topic because they told me I knew as much about the topic as they did and so that I was invited to teach that class and and I just remember going into it with a lack of confidence because I didn't have experience you see if you do something over and over and over again you can almost do it on autopilot because all of the unknowns have been erased from the equation but when you get up there the first time and you hear your own voice cracking and you feel the heat coming up through your collar, and people are looking at you, and maybe someone's giggling, then, you know, it can be a very negative experience. But I had to get past all that. And the only way I was able to do it was I had to push in the opposite direction. I listened to people talk about the, the topic of confidence, ways to project it. I had to figure out how to do it myself. And so sometimes I would talk myself up internally until um, when I walked out onto a stage or when I walked into a room full of people and they were there to hear me talk, I had to almost have an artificial type of confidence pumped into me. It's almost like if those of you who remember uh, Muhammad Ali, the boxer, he's always shouting he was the greatest, he was the greatest. But if you look at the origins of that, he started that when he was facing the big biggest obstacle in his career and it was almost like a self I don't want to say self-hypnosis, but <clears throat> excuse me, it was almost like self-talk designed to psych himself up. I had to psych myself up continually. And then even then the first few words that I said or the first few sentences that I said, my voice was uneven. Maybe it cracked slightly. Maybe I had to force it or project it a little bit more than I normally would. But I had to do this over and over and over again. And I had to do it in front of people. So very first time, this is a true story. I had to talk in front of a group of people. I had to give a talk. And I was in my early 20s, still living at home at the time. And I had all of these uh, toys from when I was a kid. And my mother collected 
these uh, stuffed bears, and uh, nobody was home. So both my parents were out. So I took these toys, and I put them in chairs <laughs> and put them on the bed, and I stood in front of them, and I gave my speech for about 30 minutes talking to the animals, pretending, pretending they were people. That was my way to kind of get experience before I could really get experience. And, you know, it's funny thinking about it now how I did it. But, you know, you do what you have to do, what you know to do to try and help yourself along. So confidence is something that you can practice projecting even when you don't have confidence. Confidence comes with experience and there's no way you're going to get experience except by doing so whether you're recording yourself on video and no one is seeing these videos but you, whether you're doing it in a spare room of your home <clears throat> or on your phone while you're walking down the street or in the backyard, I'm guessing you're not going to do it walking down the street unless you live on an empty road. But you know what I'm talking about. You're going to have to do some kind of exercise to build up your confidence a little bit. Because when you're talking to people, whether it's uh, in front of a video or somewhere else, then that ability to project some confidence, even just a little bit, is going to have a tremendous impact on the overall presentation that you give. Number two, these people who are, a lot of people are following, they're decisive. But they're not just confident, they're decisive. Now, let me just add one other thought about confidence. People who are leaders in a niche, they are opinionated. Now, some people might think they're over-opinionated, and they might be. I know what it's like to be over-opinionated myself. And I know what it's like to try and resist that, of uh, thinking that that person over there, their opinion, they're an idiot, you know, for, for saying that. But a lot of my friends who are more technical, they would look at someone using an inferior, what we all consider, what we all agree upon as using an inferior set of tools in a position, in a higher position <clears throat> for like a company or corporation, what the heck is that person doing there? That's what a lot of us would think. But that's true of every profession. If you're a professional and your heart and soul goes into whatever it is that you do and you see people that are lapping you in terms of popularity who know less than what you do, then when you're giving your opinion, which is counter to their opinion, you may come across with a bad attitude, like being very opinionated. But there's a way you can be confident and there's a way you can have your opinion without being negative and without being aggressive. And it's something that you learn how to do. It's still something that I'm learning how to do. Number two is decisive. Every leader is decisive. They have a plan of action. Now, even if it's the not, not the best plan of action, we see it happening in the world all around us. People in leadership positions, they have a plan of action. The plan of action does nothing or things wind up worse. But does that keep them from being confident the next time they step in front of the public or the next time they write an article or the next time they record a video? No, they're always more decisive. Matter of fact, people that get caught lying just, I mean, just flat out lying about something. It could be a statistic, could be the way something happened, it could be there, could be anything. When they get caught in a lie, what a lot of these people do? Does, does their confidence suddenly just go right down the drain? No. They come back out there bolder than ever before. Okay, well, there was a reason why I said that yesterday, but today I'm telling the truth. Don't, don't we hear things like that all the time? Now, leaders are and brands that attract people are decisive. They have a plan of action and people love that. People follow other people that are confident and decisive because the average person has no confidence and no decisiveness, but they're good at hiding it. See, and in, in the beginning, you're gonna feel the same way. You're gonna pick a plan and you're gonna think to myself, my God, what if this plan doesn't work? And it very may well not work. 
But you you can't be. I mean, if you were in a war, think about this. If you were a general in a war, or you had some high military ranking, the decisions you make are going to cost lives. And if you make a bad decision, it's going to cost a lot of lives. I mean, even the good decisions are going to have some setbacks. And it's really no different in the business world either. Thank God, most business decisions aren't going to cost anyone's life. But um, <clears throat> okay. And then number three, um, consistency. People that are known brands, people that other people follow, they're consistent. They're always putting out videos. They're always putting out recordings. They're always putting out some kind of information. They're always communicating. They're always there because the void gets filled really fast in the business world. Gets filled in every world, right? It gets filled in the entertainment world, in the music world. If you if you remove somebody, somebody else will come and take that spot. But I am not, and this is something that I encourage you to choose to be because the world runs against the grain of this. But if you want to go in the opposite direction, there's not a lack of anything. There's plenty of everything. People always talk about, well, there's not enough of this, not enough. No, really, there is. It's just stored up. There's plenty of money in the world. It's just stored up. Or there's something blocking it from getting you. But there's no real lack, so to speak, of anything. It's just, well, let's just take food for an example. You know, there's examples of people that have burned crops, destroyed crops, because there was such an abundance of them. People don't find these things out. These aren't things that are advertised on the news every day. But when there's an abundance of something, what happens? The value of it goes down. So a false scarcity is created to make something more expensive. And then it becomes more profitable. <clears throat> We've seen it happen with oil over the years. There was an oil shortage that in the 1970s, they used to say, we're at peak oil now. And that meant that there was a limited supply of oil in the world. Now, fast forward many decades later, and what do we hear? Well, there's really an abundance of oil. And there's different ways to get more, even more oil with new technologies arising. Let me not get stuck on that. Let's move on to that third point, what I was saying, um, consistency, right? People who are confident, they're decisive, they're consistent. And that way, not in a negative sense, but in a positive sense. You can be uplifting and confident. You can encourage other people while being decisive. You can be consistent without being a braggart. You can lead from the front. And if you just lead, it's not a matter of getting people to follow you. People will follow you because they're attracted to these three things, especially in the online world, confidence, decisiveness, and consistency. <clears throat> now, if you write a lot like I used to, if you write a lot, then people aren't getting the inflection maybe on your words that they would if they're listening to you. And if, you know, if you're on video, I guess you have all three things going on. But, uh, you know, some people, they just for whatever reason, they don't want to go on video. But what I'm what I'm telling you is that if these are the things that separate the higher rung people from the people beneath them, confidence, decisiveness, consistency, uh, another thing that I would throw out there just off the top of my head is they're not afraid. They're not they're, these. If you practice not being afraid, you're also going to, by extension, practice not worrying. They're not worried about what you think. I think that if we were all in a room together, all of you listening to me right now, and I could see you and you could see me, and I would say how many of you really don't care what other people think, I think just about every hand would go up, but we'd all be lying. Because the truth is we do care what other people think. 
We don't care what other people think as long as we do have some people in our corner. I think that's the place that we can get to where if we have at least one person that believes in us or two people that believe in us, it, it could be a spouse, it could be your family, it could be your inner circle of friends. I would say that if, if you have a spouse, a family, kids that believe in you, that have confidence in you, um, and an inner circle of friends, I would say that's incredible. I, w- I would say that's really good. That's all you need. Then you don't have to worry about making everybody else happy. But a lot of us are really overly concerned about what other people think. That's why we're so nervous to stand up in front of people. That's why we're so nervous to be seen on video. That's why we're so nervous about writing a blog post and putting it out there and getting people to respond to it because we don't want a negative response. And I know negativity, it discourages a lot of people. I completely understand that. So in the big picture, we have to practice not caring what people think while still caring about the people themselves. Because if you try too hard to please your audience, if you try too hard to be over diplomatic and balanced, what's going to happen is they'll grow bored and they'll move on to get their information from someone else. It's not something they usually consciously do. It's just human nature. We follow what we perceive to be decisiveness, confidence, and strength more often than not. And these are the traits that you can project when you stick with topics that you know, whether you're 20 years old or whether you're 90 years old or anywhere in between. Okay, well, I blew up the whole idea of staying with the 30-minute podcast episode today. I don't think there's enough that I can edit out of this and still have a cohesive message come across and keep it under 30 minutes or right about the 30 minute mark. So I'll just call it a wrap right there. That's about all for today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you think it will help a friend, please go ahead and share the episode link with them. You can send them directly to jimgalliano.com forward slash podcast. All the back episodes are there as well. And as always, your sharing of this podcast is really appreciated because it is one of the most effective ways that I can reach people who would otherwise be very difficult to reach with all the noise that's out there today. So thank you again for listening. Have a great rest of your week, and I'll talk to you later.